guys. Welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I have been a fashion blogger since 2011, but decided to shake things up by launching a podcast last year. And one of my favorite parts of my job has been connecting with so many like-minded women discussing all things life, work, and love. And I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. From sharing new recs and reviews to discussing fun, interesting topics relevant to women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond, there's a little bit of something for everyone here on the Beck and Call podcast. I'm so glad you're here, so let me know how I can be at your Beck and Call this week and every week. I feel like so much has happened since I recorded last week, so as you guys might remember, I got back yesterday afternoon from San Miguel de Allende, where I was visiting for my friend Haven's wedding on Saturday. For those of you who have not been to San Miguel, it's a vibrant city in the Guanajuato region of central Mexico, so not by any beaches or anything, but it's known for its vibrant architecture, art scene, great restaurants, and um, it was such a fun weekend. The trip did get off to sort of a rocky start, which is a pun if you know the story, which I'm about to tell you. Uh, The flight from Dallas is so easy. It's like two hours, I think, maybe less than that. And we landed, we went through customs, we grabbed our bags, and then we met the driver who was going to take us to San Miguel, which is about an hour and 45 minute drive from the Leon airport or Leon. Sorry, I'm very bad with pronunciations (laughs) in other languages. So just know that. But with about 45 minutes left in the car ride, we came upon a car accident that had literally just happened. And we, we were sort of, I want to say we were probably 20 cars behind the accident. So we couldn't really see what was going on. But it was a two-lane road, and both lanes were completely blocked. And we didn't know this yet, but they'd be closed for like the next several hours because we were sort of in the middle of nowhere. Um, And we sat there for a good 30 minutes to see if one lane would clear. And while that was happening, there was sort of a mass exodus of people leaving their cars to go see what was happening. And I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that. And that sort of scared me. Like I don't know, just people leaving their cars was sort of wild and. Um, it kind of made you feel a little trapped because they weren't in their cars to be able to move them. If you know, something happened, uh, we obviously did not get out of our car and thankfully neither did our driver, but some of the people started walking back to their cars, maybe 30 minutes later. And our driver asked them what the holdup was. And, um, one of the guys told our driver that they wouldn't be clearing the road anytime soon and told us to turn around. So we did. But like I said, it was difficult because there were still a lot of people like truck drivers had left their trucks just sitting in the lane and weren't coming back to move the truck. So it took us a while to get out and off that road. And there was no good or easy alternative route to get to San Miguel from where we were. So our driver ended up taking us down a set of unpaved, tiny roads that were covered in literally like the biggest rocks you've ever seen. (laughs) Like I felt like I was on someone's private ranch, no, no paved roads, barely cleared. I mean, we went through a a stone covered Creek bed and a car in front of us got stuck. At one point we were driving through what seemed like a one lane like area because it was so narrow. And because there were so many rocks, we were driving like five miles an hour and we were so close to other cars and we were rocking back and forth because of all the rocks. It was it was nuts, you guys. <laughs> we were all car sick by the end of the drive. I had major anxiety from thinking we were going to get stuck out there, get a flat tire, or like just any other worst case scenario you could think of being in a foreign country in the middle of nowhere, you know, all of that. It was awful. But thankfully, we made it out of the unpaved road, uh, mostly unscathed. 
but it added an extra hour and 45 minutes to our journey to the hotel. So needless to say, by the time we reached the hotel, we needed a margarita, but thankfully the rooftop bar was open and ready for us at the Rosewood. The weather was incredible all weekend, which was great since we spent the entire time outside. And as I mentioned, I stayed at the Rosewood, which is so fabulous and I can't recommend it enough. I'm like ready to go back tomorrow. The rooms are huge. The service is so on point and the food and drinks around the hotel, which there are multiple places you can eat and drink in this hotel, cannot be beat. So I highly recommend the rooftop bar. I think it was called Luna, but all the food and drinks up there were so good. I highly recommend the Sunset Margarita. It had hibiscus in it and it was just so refreshing and delicious. The pool area was amazing. I went there on Saturday and had lunch and just like laid out and it was so, so nice and relaxing. They also have an incredible fitness center, like better than most hotels I've ever been to. And I actually ended up working out twice on this trip. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Uh, But like I said, I'll definitely be staying there again. The only, and I say this sincerely, the only single downside for me was that there are hardwood floors in each room and they creaked quite a bit each time you walked to the bathroom or walked around. And I am such a light sleeper. And I could hear when the guests upstairs got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. It seemed at one point that they were like maybe having a party or just staying up really late and they were walking around, but I did not sleep very well. So next time I would definitely bring earplugs. I even had my sound machine on or like I didn't bring my sound machine, but the white noise app on my phone I used. Definitely going to bring earplugs next time. I probably should have just gone down and asked for some. But other than that, the hotel was amazing. Highly recommend it. It's in a great location, very walkable from everything. And in addition to spending a lot of time at the hotel, we did a walking tour around San Miguel. And our tour guide was an employee of the hotel. His name was Javier, if you happen to go and want to request him. He was so nice and helpful. He grew up in the city, so he had a lot of kind of fun tidbits in addition to just sharing the history of the city. Um, And then after we did that walking tour, we had our favorite meal of the trip, which might surprise you. It was just, it wasn't a hole in the wall. It was like hole in the wall adjacent, but it was like very authentic, traditional Mexican. And it was called Los Milagros. And it was a restaurant that the hotel had recommended. And it was right near the church. So if you're wandering around the church or going to the market and want somewhere to eat lunch or dinner or whatever, definitely check out Los Milagros. I got my queso fundido fix, which I was very eager to do. It's my favorite thing to eat when I'm in Mexico. And restaurants here in the U.S. do, some of them do, like Javier's has queso fundido. I think there are some other places in Dallas that do it, but it's not the same. The cheese is not the same. They add different stuff. This was just plain queso fundido, Mexican cheese, tortilla, so delicious. I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) And then the other meal we really loved was at Aperi, which was more of a fine dining spot for dinner, but the ambiance was on point. It was really lovely and warm, but it still felt kind of intimate, cozy. Anyway, the service and food were top notch. So definitely recommend that if you're looking for like a nicer date night spot. But if you want something more traditional Mexican, definitely check out Los Milagros. That was definitely my favorite place. The wedding was Saturday night and it was absolutely breathtaking. My friend Haven looked like a literal angel and the setting couldn't have been prettier. There were flowers all along the aisle, all behind the aisle. Um, It was a beautiful service and it was very short and sweet, the ceremony, (laughs) which is just how I like it, if you ask me. Um, And right after that, there was a cocktail reception, dinner and dancing. 
And instead of cake, they had freshly made churros, which I thought were so good and such a cute idea. And it was such a fun night. And I'm so happy I was able to go to celebrate Haven and Herbie. And just it was the most beautiful, fun wedding. And I'm definitely sad to be home sitting here recording this. (laughs) As I mentioned earlier, I flew back yesterday. And luckily, our drive to the airport was a much more smooth and enjoyable experience than the one on our way in. Because I've been busy and out of town and in Mexico and all of that, I don't have any major updates in what I've been watching and listening, but I did start a new book called Project Hail Mary, and it's something that I heard Olivia mention on Bad on Paper, I think that was last week or the week before, and I downloaded it and had planned to start it, but then got caught up, but I started it on this trip and I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm a few chapters in. And it's a lot of space and science stuff at the beginning, but I'm actually enjoying that so far. The if you if you like audiobooks, I think you're really gonna like this audiobook because the narrator is great. Um, and I usually don't like male narrators, if I'm being honest, but I really like this one. So give it a shot if you're interested in um, space, sci-fi, science, anything like that. It is fiction, obviously, but it's called Project Hail Mary. So check that out. Since I often get a lot of influencer-related questions, I thought for today's episode, it might be interesting to discuss the highs and lows of this job. From the outside, I'm sure being an influencer can look like rainbows and butterflies. And while there are a lot of perks and great things about this job and lifestyle, there are plenty of downsides too. Just like with any job, there are things that aren't so great about it. Like, for example, doing doing your own taxes and healthcare. That's a pain in the ass, but those aren't fun ones to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about those. Before we get into it, though, I think it's always good to remind people that what we're seeing on the Internet is a highlight reel. I try to share a good mix of the good and the bad and keep it as real as possible, share the ups and downs. But I mostly try to avoid negative content or negative topics and things in my content. I like to keep my content light and happy and easy to to digest. I mean, there's a lot going in the world at any given time. And I personally use the internet as an escape and for entertainment. That's how I use it. And so that's how I create my content too. People do not enjoy hearing other people complain, no matter who you are or what your job is. Um, And I recognize that I come from a place of privilege. Things I might complain about or be upset about could be considered out of touch or frivolous to somebody else. But just because I don't talk about negative things or complain too often does not mean my life is perfect or that I'm happy every single day. I'm sharing what I want you to see. I'm not sharing the days when I'm feeling down or missing my dad or when things don't go well with a guy I like or whatever the case may be, or if I have just a bad work day or Reese's is being a nightmare or whatever it is. We all have bad days, whether you see them on Instagram or not. There are human beings behind every Instagram account you follow. And I think that often gets lost when you don't know people in real life. You just see them behind a screen. And it's so easy to fire off a comment or a mean message because there's zero repercussions for the sender. People can feel like they can say whatever they want to you and you just have to take it. And I'll get into more of that later, but like as we break down the various highs and lows, but just remember that as you follow people online, they are real people with real feelings. You may not think what they have to say is important or cool or whatever, but they are real people. Just remember that. First, let's start with the highs of being an influencer. 
For me, I absolutely love connecting with people and it's so fun and special for me to be able to share content I love that people can relate to or find interesting. Most of the people who follow me and enjoy my content are also incredibly supportive, encouraging, and thoughtful. And I'm so grateful and fortunate to have such an amazing audience that lifts me up and wants me to succeed both in professional and personal endeavors. I mean, I feel like that's such a gift. Um, And it feels like I have thousands of really amazing friends who have my back, even if I haven't met any of you in real life. And it's hard to describe how meaningful those connections are to me, um, but I I cherish them so, so much. So first of all, thank you. (laughs) If you're listening or following or reading my blog or whatever, it means so much to me that you would take the time out of your day to do that and connect with me and message me and comment and engage with my content. It, It really means a lot. Another major high of being an influencer is getting the opportunity to work with amazing brands I've long admired. So when I first started my blog, I never could have imagined that a designer like Gucci would send me a handbag for free or invite me to a private event. I never thought Neiman Marcus would pay me to promote their website and brands they carry. Having a blog and being an influencer has opened so many doors for me and opportunities for me to connect and collaborate with brands and designers I've been a fan of forever. There have just been so many fun pinch me moments over the years, thanks to this job. And I'm so grateful for it. And it's just been so much fun. Like I really can't complain about any of that. Another obvious perk of being an influencer is receiving gifted products. But with that said, it's not always a perk. It can be super wasteful if the brands or PR teams aren't careful and selective about who and what they gift. Sometimes they just send PR mailers to whoever without trying to tailor it, or it's just like, it's just a ton of wasteful stuff. So, and I'll mention, I'm doing a Q and a kind of at the end of this episode. And somebody asks like about that, about the wasteful part. And I'll talk more about that. But best case scenario for gifted product is when a brand reaches out and asks you to pick something from their website. This does not happen very often though. It happens a lot less than you think it would. And most of the time when a brand reaches out, they want to send you something in particular that you haven't asked for or necessarily even want, or they'll give you a small set of options to choose from. So like, for example, I recently did a collaboration and luckily it was something that I liked, but they wanted me to pick from a certain brands, a certain selection of their sneakers. Um, And luckily it was, like I said, styles that I like, but if it hadn't, I would have had to turn down the collaboration because it wasn't what I wanted. And half the time PR mailers are wasteful promos. So like not actually things that are on brand for me or something I'd want to share. And while getting anything gifted is amazing and obviously such a treat, it's not a form of payment. I don't, and I know a lot of bloggers do not accept gifted product in exchange for promotion, which is something I'm super clear about with brands who approach me when they're trying to gift me something, because a lot of them are trying to get free promotion. And while I understand it's hard out there and it's expensive to work with certain influencers, we also have to pay bills. So I'm not just going to accept gifted product for free to promote you. Um, If you want me to do dedicated content and create stuff for you, I want to get paid. And, you know, gifted things are not it. (laughs) Most of the time, they're happy to send you something in hopes you eventually promote it without um, strings attached. But there are quite a few brands that expect something in return and won't work with you unless you agree to Um, post something. So in those cases, I just, you know, politely decline. Another cool perk is getting invited to exclusive events and parties, both in Dallas, but also in bigger cities like 
New York and London where they have fashion week. So whether there's a cool store opening or a movie screening or a fun event with a brand from out of town, we've also like I've also been to several celebrity book signings and other things. I usually get an invitation to attend because bloggers and influencers are considered press. I don't attend these events super often anymore, but it's definitely an awesome perk if it's a brand that I love or I'm really interested in working with. So a recent example is last week I attended this private, I I guess it was sort of a trunk show, but it was almost like a shopping experience at a private resident in Dallas for Gucci. And they had like every room was decorated and decked out with Gucci wallpaper and furniture and the clothes and like fine jewelry. It was so cool. I had Liza and I had the best morning exploring and taking photos and looking around at the collections. And like that, if I wasn't an influencer, I don't think I would have been invited to that. And that was such a cool thing. <laughs> like I really enjoyed that. And I did share photos of that on my Instagram account at Merit Beck. If you want to check that out, there's um, a carousel feed post, but that was awesome. Another example, when I was living in London, I got invited to attend the Burberry Fashion Show at London Fashion Week. And that was so cool to me. Like I'd been to New York Fashion Week a few times and a lot of the shows that I was invited to were, um, you know, more contemporary brands like Millie and Tory Burch, which are really fun. But Burberry in London was epic. There's, I mean, it's a London based brand. It is a major fashion house. There were so many celebrities and famous models and fashion editors, just like so many people that I admire and fangirl over. And the fact that I was invited was just like so exciting. <laughs> like I bought a dress for it. Like it was it was a whole thing. And I it was just such a cool, special pinch me moment that I will never forget. I, st- I still have the photos. I'm never going to get rid of them. I probably should put them in a scrapbook or something. But um, that that's a really cool perk is being ex- being invited to those events and parties and fashion shows. Um, and this sort of goes hand in hand with the previous one. But this job has given me so many opportunities to meet amazing designers, celebrities and other cool people in the industry. So like I got to meet Gwyneth Paltrow when she was here promoting one of her cookbooks. I've gotten to hang out with Leela Rose a bunch of times because she comes to Dallas and does events with her store. I've gotten to meet a a bunch of fashion editors and tech execs at major companies thanks to this. It's just there's so many people in this industry doing cool things and being able to have access to those people and meet them and hear them talk and all of that is really cool. One of the other major but less exciting highs is being my own boss. So I get to travel as often as I like. I can create my own schedule depending on how like my workload or how I'm feeling. I could just take Monday off if I wanted. Like how great is that? I also get to choose who I work with. So I'm I'm finally at a point where, you know, I'm making enough that I can be choosy on which brands to work with. I get to hire employees. Literally everything is up to me. And it's such a blessing to do what I love and actually get paid well enough for it to live a life that like I feel like a lot of people dream of. Like I'm I'm living my dream. Like I get to work in fashion and connect with people and be my own boss and travel a lot and, you know, be a boss. Like I have an employee. I mean, they're, that's so, I'm so grateful for that. And it's, it's such a blessing, but of course there are some lows that come with being an influencer. One of the main things I've struggled with over the years has to do with my body image and issues with food and exercise. So I know I've talked about this a lot, but 
My weight fluctuates so much and staying trim is not easy for me. Like I feel like it is for a bunch of other people or at least people on Instagram make it seem really easy. easy. Um, I definitely find myself comparing my body to skinnier influencers and I get frustrated that clothes don't hang on my body as well as they do on others. They just look better on other people. Um, I'm not rail thin. I've got curves. I'm also not, you know, the prettiest person out there. I'm not the skinniest person. I'm not the prettiest person. There's always going to be somebody who looks better than you. (laughs) Um, I get frustrated by the fact that it seems so easy for other people to stay thin. And like I said, I'm, I'm not the skinniest influencer and I'm not trying to be, but so much about this job is about how you look, how clothes fit, etc. And I'd be lying if I said it didn't take a toll on like my day-to-day happiness and mental health. My life revolves around eating and exercise. I know, and that's terrible and it's probably disordered and it's bad, but that that's just the way it is. And it doesn't help that I get more engagement and likes on photos when I'm skinnier than ones where I'm carrying around more weight. Unfortunately, we live in a society that celebrates thinness and that holds up on social media as well. Body positivity might be on the rise, but it's not everywhere. And I certainly wasn't raised in that environment. Pressure to be thin is deep rooted (laughs) in my family and also just like where and how I was raised and the people I was raised around and the influences and all of that. And it's not something I can just one day decide I don't care about. And I think all women probably deal with this, especially when looking at uh, like picture perfect people all day on Instagram. As much as I'd love to be happy in my own skin in any way, I'm just not, and I'm not sure I ever will be. There's always going to be something that I want to change and fix and improve on, but the pressure to look good, thin, pretty, perfect, whatever you want to call it is so real. And it affects me day to day. It affects every choice I make in terms of when I'm eating at home or on vacation or how much I work out. Like I probably, people probably think I work out far too much, but it's because I love to eat. And I'm just, I'm not going to, I don't want to eat only kale every day for the rest of my life. Like I want to enjoy my life and eat good food, but I also, I'm not going to look good if, you know, I indulge more than once a week. (laughs) Like I've got to, there's got to be a better way, but you know, I'm trying, we're all trying. This kind of goes hand in hand with body image and comparing myself to other influencers and their bodies and looks in this industry. But the comparison game in general is something I definitely struggle with. And I think that's pretty common for everybody. But from the number of followers people have to how great they look in the clothes they wear, the comparison game is really, really real. There will always be someone with more Instagram followers than you. There will always be someone who goes on more luxurious vacations than you. There will always be someone who gets cooler projects and collaborations than you. There will always be someone with more designer bags or bigger houses or better hair or a seemingly perfect relationship. Literally, the list goes on and on and on. And even though we all know Instagram is a highlight reel, it's hard not to focus on someone else's seemingly perfect life and compare it to our own. For me, I think the comparison game affects me most with body image, with relationships, and sadly with follower counts, but I'm just a numbers person and I'm competitive and it irritates me. (laughs) I feel like my life is complete in literally every way, except for that I'm single. So it can be frustrating to see so many people flaunt their seemingly loving romantic relationships and constantly talk about how wonderful their partners are when I haven't had any luck finding someone I even like enough to date for more than a couple of months. Um, It can be really draining to see that constantly on Instagram, people posting lovey messages and all the photos, the fucking stupid photos of people 
holding hands at the beach where like the, the partner is out of shot, but your hand, I mean, I've, I want to kill those people. <laughs> They're so stupid. I don't know. People just put such a big weight on relationships that it makes me feel inferior. And it's not that I feel inferior, but it's like the content makes you feel inferior. It's not even the relationship because, you know, things can't be as good behind closed doors as they appear on Instagram. But it's frustrating to watch. So anyway, I'll get off that high horse there. But as I mentioned, I'm a numbers person and I've gotten very frustrated seeing other influencers grow their follower accounts on Instagram through maybe questionable business practices like loop giveaways when I'm just doing my best to create content with integrity and grow the old fashioned way. It just feels unfair. And at this point, the only way for me to catch up to them would be to do those same sketchy giveaways or buy followers, which I'm not willing to do. Unfortunately, it's a problem in this industry and it happens constantly. And there's no way to, you know, prove to followers and people and brands that like your following is probably more authentic than somebody else's because at least you didn't cheat your way to the top. Um, Anyway, that's, that seems like something silly to complain about, but it bothers me. This also seems like a silly thing to complain about, but the changing algorithms on social media is definitely a pain point for influencers. And it's not just Instagram. It happened on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. It will eventually happen to TikTok if it hasn't already. Um, So most social media feed algorithms are structured to share posts in reverse chronological order, meaning the most recent posts appear at the top of your feed. This was the case with all of the aforementioned social channels, but eventually each one changed the algorithm. And the reason they do this is so they can start making money. Because all of these platforms are free, the way people, the way they get people to pay for advertising is to make it difficult for your content to be seen. So that's what has happened on literally every single social channel over the years. Instagram, though, is particularly frustrating because it feels like they keep changing it and making it worse every time. And now that they're trying to compete with TikTok, they're prioritizing video content over static photos, which is what made their app so popular to begin with and what I primarily post. So not only are they changing the algorithm, but they're changing the desirable content. Like they're changing what they want people to share on there. Um, And I hate creating video content. That's why I never kept up with my YouTube channel. Uh, That's why I don't do reels very often. It's just not fun for me. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy coming up with the content for it or shooting it or editing it. I just don't love video. And uh, I want people to see my content, but in order to do so, I feel like I have to do something I don't want to do. And that wasn't even the original point of this app. The original point of this app was to share photos, not video. And I feel like that's completely gone away and they're putting so much more weight and value in video content. And because I'm not, adhering to their rules, I um, my content is not getting seen and it's very frustrating. All right, moving on to this, to internet trolls and online forums. So I've always hesitated to answer questions on this topic, mostly because I don't want to draw attention to it and give these websites more traffic. First of all, let me just say, I think it's totally okay to think critically about what anyone does, whether that's an influencer, a politician, a family member, or your best friend. If you have constructive criticism or feedback to share, that's one thing. And I think most people are receptive to feedback if it's presented in a nice or respectful way. And while I think some of the commentary happening on these websites can be constructive, 
a lot of it is just people spewing hateful messages and being super judgy and mean, trying to hurt people's feelings, tear people down and make the commenters feel better about themselves. Years ago, I used to look at one particular online forum a lot because there was a threat about me and it drove me crazy. Like it literally made my blood boil and it ruined my day every time I saw there was an update. Not just because of what people are saying, because a lot of it wasn't even that bad, but because I couldn't go on there and like defend myself, it, it felt so hopeless and helpless. Like I, I knew if I did, I would just make things worse. So I never went on there <laughs> to say anything, but seeing all of that stuff made me incredibly insecure. It hurt my feelings deeply. And I, I just couldn't understand why anyone, let alone a stranger, would hate me so much to go on there and say things <laughs> like the things they were saying. Nothing I could have said would have changed people's minds about me. And I wasn't going to add fuel to the fire. So like I said, I'd never posted anything. I just would look at it and be mad. Um, And eventually I just had to stop looking at it. I haven't looked at it in a few years. Um, I do remember one particular post someone shared that made me want to jump through the computer screen though and maybe strangle them. Um, it It was not about my weight or how I acted on social media or whether I was a brat or whatever. It was about my dad. And I don't even remember what the full thing was, but somebody said something like, the reason I had money is because there was a lawsuit after my dad's helicopter crash and we sued the pilot. And I can't remember the, like I said, I can't remember the exact wording or the post, but that was sort of the gist of what they were getting at. Um, And first of all, not that I need to explain any of this. It's really nobody's business, Uh, but my dad was not the only person who died in that crash. The pilot also died from his injuries about a year after my dad, and he was hospitalized the entire time. He was in a burn unit. There was no lawsuit or even a thought of a lawsuit. It was a horrible tragedy and accident that killed three people. So let's just take a minute to think about that. Whoever wrote that comment pulled that out of their ass. Not even a rumor, but a straight up lie. Second of all, I think it's disgusting anyone would twist a terrible personal tragedy into something that fits their narrative about me, like a story that they, it just works for how they see me. And so they're going to twist a story um, to make it work to fit their narrative. What the fuck? Talk about how I'm a brat or that I need to get a boyfriend or that I'm, you know, whatever, that I'm spoiled, fine. But like, are you really going to bring like my dead dad into the conversation? Why is that necessary? Like, do you feel good about that? Do you feel good about starting a rumor or lying about a terribly tragic thing that occurred to me and my family and other families? I just don't understand where people get the nerve um, and feel good and like sleep at night. Uh, So I share all of this to encourage you to think critically about what people are posting in these forums if they are something you read and look at, which I don't think you should. Um, Well, I'm sure some of what is said is valid feedback or criticism about influencers you follow. There's also no way to determine what's real and what is straight up bullshit from people who just hate certain influencers and want to bring them down. You might judge me for what I do day to day as a blogger, influencer or whatever, but what people say and do in these forums is next level horrible. And like, please get a life. Like, don't you have other things to do with your time? It's pathetic. (laughs) Like, seriously, (laughs) Uh, I, 
Anyway, there are also like internet trolls that'll DM you, but I've been pretty lucky to not have to deal with a lot of that over the years. When it does happen, I've gotten pretty good at blocking people. You know what they say, out of sight, out of mind. And that's sort of what I've done with all on online forums. And if people DM me stuff that's not constructive criticism, but just they're just messaging me to be hateful, I just block them. It's not worth my time um, even thinking about it. Okay, moving on. Um, Another thing I've had trouble with, at least in the last two to three years, is dealing with strangers' expectations of me. Because social media is a constant feedback loop, I often get requests and sometimes demands to do specific kinds of content or talk on specific subject matter or current events. And while I'm certainly open to ideas for new content, I do the work I do because I love the content I'm creating already. While I want my readers to enjoy it, obviously, part of the reason you chose to follow me and follow other influencers is because you like the content they're already putting out there. For example, my blog and style fits more of a luxury niche. While I occasionally will share budget-friendly roundups and style picks, I would say the majority of my content highlights pieces in contemporary and designer price ranges, which I know is not appealing to the mass market. Um, Not everyone can afford some of the stuff I'm talking about. Um, every once in a while, I'll get someone who's super frustrated by me posting more expensive things. And while I can appreciate that may not be what you're looking for, I have always posted this kinds of stuff. And this is just part of my brand. I've been very consistent over the last 11 years with my content. And I also should say there are thousands of influencers out there who focus on more budget friendly brands who might be a better fit for those people than me, who has a long history of focusing on more expensive labels. While I do take feedback from readers and make tweaks and changes here and there, I'm posting what I post because I love it. And ultimately, I think that's why people stick around. I'm not just posting to post or posting cheap things I hope people will buy. I'm posting things I love and would buy myself. Uh, I think because I'm an influencer and rely on other people's purchases for my income, people expect me to just cater to their every whim and need when it comes to content. And I'm happy to do it on occasion. That's why I do Q&As and I want to find things that you're looking for. But at the end of the day, I'm the one spending the time creating the content and I have to enjoy what I do and what I'm putting together if I'm going to keep doing it. I've cultivated a following who already likes what I do and create. So I'm not going to change my content on a whim just to fit one new person's expectations of me. On the other side of that, with current events, politics, etc., it can be exhausting dealing with other people's expectations for me to post or not post about certain things. It's literally half and half. Some people want me to post more about current events while others abhor it and will unfollow if I do. There's really no way to please everyone. And I know that, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating to deal with because literally we're all constantly fielding DMs about some new catastrophic thing that's happening in this world. Um, I understand people wanting to support influencers who have similar similar beliefs or that you want to support the people that support the same causes you support. But I also think it's totally possible to follow and and enjoy people's content when you don't necessarily agree with everything they do or say 100% of the time. I follow plenty of people on Instagram that I don't align with on certain things, but I still enjoy most of their content and I'm not going to unfollow them just because I disagree with them on one thing. But maybe that's just me. I just think it's silly to be so black and white about it. All right. Now that I've covered my biggest highs and lows with this job, I wanted to answer a bunch of your questions about being an influencer. And these were all submitted on the Beck and Call podcast Instagram page. So thank you to those of you who follow on that account and submitted those questions. So let's get into it. 
Do you like it when followers say hi to you in public? What's the nicest way for us to do that? Absolutely. (laughs) I love meeting you guys. It's so fun meeting readers and followers out and about. Like literally don't hesitate. I love it. You can come up to me anytime. Um, It is funny though. I feel like so often when I do meet people, I look like shit. (laughs) Like I'm in workout clothes or something, Um, which is not great for me, but I don't care either way. So come up and say hi. Um, I, I love hosting meetups. Like I love meeting you guys. So definitely don't hesitate to come say hi if you see me out and about somewhere. Okay. The next question, how quickly did your salary grow from year to year? I've done a pretty good job of keeping track of my revenue each year. Um, like breaking down the amount I make from flat fee partnerships and my reward style slash LTK commissions, et cetera. And the first year I started tracking, like really tracking was the year I decided I wanted to to go out on my own and do the blog full time. So I, I really started tracking everything completely at the beginning of 2014. And I eventually left my job at Reward Style at the end of that year. So just to give you an idea, in 2014, I had made just over $60,000, which was quite a bit more than I made at Reward Style as a salaried employee at the time. Um, the next year, my earnings jumped to just under 95000 And then the year after that, it jumped to 145,000. And then the year after that, it jumped to 170,000. And it remained that amount the following year as well. Um, And in 2019, my income jumped much higher again and has remained steady and grown more since. And I think part of that is because I launched my capsule wardrobes that year. That piece of content has been really popular um, that I do every season. And I do think it's helped me grow too. Um, it's really shareable content. So I think that really made a difference, but I've grown, my, my salary has grown significantly year over year. Like there's a lot of potential in this industry. Um, if you develop an audience that wants to shop and you know, all of that. And I talk more about the financial aspects of influencing in an earlier episode. The episode is number 10, and it's called Influencing Behind the Scenes, How We Make Money. So if you want to hear how we make money and the breakdown and all of that, uh, definitely listen to that episode. The next question, what reaction do you get from guys on dates when you tell them what you do? So I actually mentioned this on the dating episode I did, which is episode 23, if you missed it. But when I meet guys in person and they get to know me a bit before knowing what I do, I never have an issue with it. Anytime I've led with it on a dating app, it's backfired. Um, I think people just have assumptions about what influencers are like. We're dumb. We have credit card debt. We overshare everything. We're, you know, frivolous and, you know, idiots. But once I get on dates with people and bring it up, I usually don't have a problem. I still call myself a blogger because that's what I started as. And it's the form of content I truly own. Being an Instagram influencer, I mean, I just don't consider myself one, but, um, Sure. I'm also considered an influencer now that we have Instagram and that's a socially acceptable term, but I don't feel as confident using that as I do the word blogger. I feel like blogger isn't as bad for some reason. I just think there are negative connotations associated with the word influencer. Um, What is the best gifted slash free product you've ever received throughout your time as an influencer? Honestly, and somebody made fun of me for this and like gave me shit for doing this partnership, but getting a free, very expensive mattress from Mattress Firm is certainly at the top of my list. Uh, I love my mattress. My bed is the most comfortable bed. Um, And that was great. I mean, who wants to spend three or four grand on a mattress? I think that's a great gifted product. (laughs) 
Uh, clothes and beauty products are great, of course, but it's the big ticket items like furniture, rugs, et cetera, that have probably been the most exciting to receive, mostly because they're so pricey and get so much use. And it's not necessarily money you want to be spending. Like I would love to spend money on a great new pair of shoes, but do I really want to be spending money on a mattress? It's just not a very sexy purchase. How do you feel about other influencers copying you? Do you feel this is an issue? Um, I've personally dealt with this and definitely think it's annoying. Uh, with that being said, I'm sure I've taken inspiration from other influencers without noticing I'm doing it. I don't think it's always something people intend to do or do on purpose. So while it's frustrating, there's not much you can do about it. And it's not actually taking anything away from the content you're creating, but it is frustrating, especially in an industry where it's so hard it's so saturated and it's so hard to differentiate yourself from other people. You wish people would just like be original and do their own shit, but some people just aren't that creative. That's just sadly the truth. Do you feel it's competitive between influencers? So similarly to the last question, yes and no. While I do think there's space for everyone in this industry, brands don't have unlimited budgets. They generally look at a target market like Dallas or just Texas as a whole, for example, and find influencers that are on brand for them, and then choose the ones that have the biggest followings on social to push their products. Since I do not have a huge social following compared to some other Texas influencers, I'm unlikely to be picked for those collaborations. Luckily, I do really well with my commissions on LTK, um, so I don't have to rely on collaborations anymore. And I do get a ton of collaborations through LTK because of my performance on their network. Um, But I would say the collaboration side of the business could be considered more competitive because brands have an endless number of influencers to choose from. And I will say I do get a little feisty and competitive when it comes to my content. So when people rip it off or use my content without asking or whatever, I definitely pay attention to how many followers I have compared to other influencers, especially ones I feel like who are cheating doing loop giveaways. I'm just a numbers person. And so I'm competitive that way. And that's just my personality. I'd love to hear about your day-to-day schedule and average hours worked per week. So now that I have a full-time employee, my hours are pretty standard. Um, Liza comes to my house from 10 to 6, Monday through Friday, uh, but I'm often linking stuff and doing Q&As throughout the weekend too. And there are days where she works from home or I work from elsewhere, like maybe I'm traveling. So on those days, I may be a little more flexible with my hours. But when Liza is here and in the office, I work pretty standard office hours. Um, It wasn't always like that. It really wasn't until the last couple of years until Liza started working for me that I kind of made an effort to have a better work-life balance. I used to work constantly. Like anyone who knows me can tell you that. My mom once came to visit me in Dallas and um, I think we had an issue with the heater. It was in her old townhouse. And so we had to stay in a hotel room together while they fixed that. And after dinner, we got back we got back from dinner to the hotel room and I continued working for like two or three hours. Like she was shocked that (laughs) I couldn't just like relax. But lately in the last few years, like I said, I've gotten a lot lot better at the work-life balance thing. And I try not to work on the weekends except for like a Q and A just because if I'm just like sitting around on Sunday, those aren't that hard for me to do and it's fun and all of that. But I generally work standard hours, Monday through Friday. All right. Do trolls get to you? Do you have any really bad stories to share? Of course they do, but uh, only when I read them. So as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I stopped looking at those online blogger forums years ago 
out of sight, out of mind. Um, and while I do occasionally get a hateful DM, I just try to ignore it and block. Like I said, there's a difference between constructive criticism and just unnecessarily hateful commentary. So if your DM is the latter, you're getting blocked. That's just, that's all I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that. But my stepdad gave me great advice several years back that I try to stick with when I get a troll in my DMs. Don't enter the circle. If you enter the circle and engage, you fuel the fire. You are never going to get the response or resolution you want, no matter what you say. So just don't enter the circle. And for me, that just means blocking people. How do you maintain self-confidence when people criticize you in DMs and comments? It's definitely hard. Um, People will go for the throat and it's hard not to take it personally when people will literally try to hit you below the belt to hurt you. Um, Like it's really wild the things people feel comfortable saying. There are two things I try to think about though when I get the DMs that are really hurtful to me. One, this person is probably having a really shitty day, week, month, or year. And they're taking it out on me to make them feel better about themselves and their current situation. The second is negative DMs and comments are just a drop in the bucket of all the amazing, kind and loyal people who follow me. I it's certainly challenging to not focus all of your energy on the one negative comment. But I do try to remind myself that there are thousands of other people who follow me and love what I share. So focusing on the negative is giving them the power. So take the power back and try to just ignore and move on. And again, easier said than done. I get really upset with certain comments, but um, I do my best to try and ignore and move on. How do you deal with the lack of privacy and strangers knowing everything about you? I'm mostly an open book and generally don't have a filter, so I've never been bothered by sharing a lot of my life on the internet. What I have trouble dealing with is the assumptions people make about me based on some nugget of information I've shared. So like the story about the online forum and my dad and the supposed lawsuit that got us all of our money. That shit pisses me off. People can just make up whatever they want and share these assumptions they have about you and there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, of course I want to say something. Of course I want to fight back, fight the power. But what is that going to do? Um, so that's frustrating. Um, do you oftentimes return most of what you'll buy for a try-on? I normally only do try-ons when I'm ordering a bunch of stuff to try for an upcoming trip, an event, if I'm looking for something in particular, like recently I did like a spring dress try-on and I ordered a bunch of stuff because it was ahead of a trip. Um, I always order way more than I expect to keep, mostly because half the stuff doesn't end up fitting me or looking right in person. So yes, I do return most of what I order and share in try-ons. I only keep the items I really love and look best on me. I'm not trying to just buy stuff to have stuff. So I'll return what doesn't work. When did you really start to feel like an influencer? Probably when I started making real money um, or when I started getting more significant collaborations, it was really exciting and thrilling to feel like I influenced someone to make a purchase and also really exciting that brands were taking notice of that. What is the average influencer salary? So if you haven't listened to my episode on the finances of being an influencer, I highly recommend it. I talk about all of the ways we make money what the potential for earnings can be, and so much more. So just a reminder, that is episode 10, and it's called Influencing Behind the Scenes, How We Make Money. Um, There's no comprehensive way to answer this question because literally every influencer has a different audience and makes money in different ways. Some people do really well with collaborations, while others, like me, make the majority of their income from sale commissions. 
The only people who probably have a pretty good idea of this number would be affiliate networks like LTK or influencer agencies like DBA who have access to the data. Um, they can see how much their influencer clients are making on the back end. But I, I definitely cannot answer that since I don't know what each individual, uh, each individual influencer out there makes. With all of that said, the first year before I went full time with my blog, I made just over 60 grand from my blog earnings. And since then, that number has grown significantly year over year. I personally know several influencers who make over a million dollars a year doing just LTK and collaborations. So obviously the potential for growth and the amount you can make is pretty amazing. It's not true for everybody, but it is a very lucrative job. What's your biggest pet peeve about other influencers? So I sort of mentioned this earlier, but cheaters, when people cheat their way to the top, Nothing made me more angry than when everyone was jumping on board to do the loop giveaways several years back. Of course, most people have forgotten about them now and don't do them anymore now that they've gotten their big audiences. But that's why so many of the biggest influencers have the followings they have today. If you've never heard of a loop giveaway, it's when a bunch of influencers, like five or more, but often in the dozens, get together for one really big giveaway. So like think a Peloton bike or a Louis Vuitton bag, for example. In order to enter the giveaway, you have to follow all of the influencers that are putting it on, even if it's like 50. Sometimes there are so many influencers you have to follow just to enter to try and win whatever they're trying to do. Because there are so many influencers and they are all pooling and sharing their followers with each other, they each get a huge bump in their follower numbers from these giveaways. And while their numbers certainly grow, there's no way to know whether these followers will actually be engaged with their content, shop, etc. Um, they're all following because they wanted something for free, not because they love your content. So there's no way to know if they're going to become actual customers and be good for the brands you're partnering with. So when brands are looking to partner with influencers, they obviously look at your follower accounts first. And with inflated numbers, some influencers may look more successful and quote unquote influential than they actually are. So anyway, long story short, it just feels like a cheat and I hate that. So really anyone who's done loop giveaways, I'm rolling my eyes at. How do you know if your target audience is actually your audience? So I think this is an interesting question because I don't have a target audience. And I, I wouldn't say most people start a blog with a target audience. You start a blog because you write stuff that you like or you create content that you love or you're sharing shopping items that you like clothing items you love. My audience is my audience because of what I post. They found me and decided to stick around because they enjoy my content. I'm not trying to tailor my content for anyone. I create content that I love and I hope it resonates with people. And if not, they'll unfollow and find other influencers that better suit what they're looking for. Now, obviously I've, I've maintained a certain brand and aesthetic over the years. And so I do know kind of what my audience looks like, but I don't have a target audience, if that makes sense. Do you feel the pressure to look perfect? I definitely do in terms of body image, like I mentioned earlier on in the episode but not day to day or when I'm running errands. I like, I get like to get dressed and ready for the day on most days, but I'll certainly run errands without makeup and in workout clothes. If I'm rushed for time or feeling lazy. Now, when I do go out to dinner and stuff, I usually try pretty hard, but generally day to day, I don't care. What are some jobs related to being an influencer that are not actually being an influencer? So if you like the idea of working in the space, affiliate marketing is a great option. You can work on the brand side. So like Net-A-Porter or a single brand retailer like Veronica Beard. 
Um, and most brands and designers have a person or even a team dedicated to working with affiliates like influencers, bloggers, and networks that do like coupon codes and that kind of stuff. Um, you can also work on the affiliate network side. So for a company like LTK or ShopStyle, um, they have a variety of jobs that are in the influencer space. And then some other jobs that are influencer adjacent would be working for an agency like a like DBA or a PR firm that works with fashion brands and events and that kind of thing. What was the best resource for you when you were first starting out? Honestly, Google. <laughs> and I say this about everything because I, I find it funny when people ask the, this question. Um, somebody asked me like basically the basics of how to start a podcast. And I was like, did you try Googling it first? <laughs> because that's literally... Everything I learned about blogging and podcasting, I figured out on my own by doing research from how to set up a blog, getting a domain name, hosting, um, which platform to choose to the best photography equipment and editing software I've used. I researched it all on my own. I think a lot about this job and really just being self-employed, it requires you to be self-motivated and a self-starter. So if you're not willing to put in the work and do the research yourself to get it started on your own, you're probably not going to keep up with it long-term. And I know that's maybe a harsh perspective, but I think it's kind of true. Um, You got to do your due diligence and do research. And Google was definitely the biggest resource for me when starting out with the blog and the podcast. Was there ever a time after you went full-time that you thought about quitting? I've certainly thought about taking a break. I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who didn't want a break or a change of change of pace from their job at some point in their career. 2020 was a year I really thought about it because there was so much pressure and such an expectation to talk about topics I'd never once addressed before on my blog or social channels. Um, Like early on in my blogging days, I decided to never chat about current events, politics or anything like that. Literally nothing. I never talked about anything except for like fashion and my life. I'm not an expert on any of those topics. (laughs) And that's not what people come to me for or follow me for. I'm not a news source. But in 2020, there was a major shift in what readers and followers expected of content creators. And that was a really big adjustment for me. I'm not complaining. And I've definitely gotten more comfortable sharing things that have made me uncomfortable in the past. But it was totally new to me and invited a lot of negative commentary and some backlash that I wasn't at all prepared for or used to. Um, like the ele- like the level of attention on it was scary. Um, everyone is entitled to their own opinion on all ranges of topics, but it is so difficult <laughs> getting attacked on what felt like all sides for either not saying enough or saying too much on you know any kind of topic. Do social media followers actually matter or is blog traffic for search more important from search? Sorry, they absolutely matter. So most brands these days are looking more at your social media content, your follower count and your engagement than they are looking at your blog. That's why so many influencers spend more time creating content for their social channels than they do for their blogs these days. It's part of the reason why I started posting less on my blog and focused more of my efforts on social content and this podcast, because that's just the way the cookie is crumbling. They're just not as focused on blog content. They're more focused on Instagram stories and feed posts and reels. So those numbers definitely matter. All right. How do you feel about loop giveaways? I feel like I've already answered this, but hate, hate, hate. (laughs) It feels like cheating. Most influencers with a large following on Instagram have done some sort of loop giveaway, though. 
I'm one of the few that hasn't, which is part of the reason why it's taken me so fucking long to grow when other people have just flown right by me. Even ones that didn't have as many followers than me at some point. Like it's really frustrating, but I can rest easy knowing that my following is made up of people who follow me because they enjoy my content, not for the free stuff. Do you have to disclose if something is gifted? Yes. I always say whether something is gifted, I'll say either hashtag gifted or courtesy of or hashtag ad on my Instagram content. And on my blog, I'll also use gifted or courtesy of. I'll also say thank you so much to Neiman Marcus for sponsoring this post or whatever. If I'm getting paid or gifted, I always include a disclosure like that. Do you ever turn off your phone for a day? Do you? (laughs) I don't think I've ever done this. It's hard to imagine turning off my phone completely, not just because of my job, but how would I stay in touch with anyone? <laughs> like, got to be able to text and call people. Um, but I don't know. Y'all tell me, do you turn off your phone sometimes just totally all day? Don't look at it. That would be weird for me. I hate LTK. Why do so many influencers use it? I just want a simple link. Okay, let's have a conversation. While I understand why people don't like the idea of a separate app, LTK is actually really useful from a user and creator perspective. I am happy to link things individually in stories most of the time, but sometimes there are multiple places an item can be purchased and people want those options. Sometimes I'm in a rush and LTK is a dedicated place where you can have access to all of those links. To be honest, it can be frustrating to receive multiple DMs asking for a link to something I have previously posted both on stories and on LTK, which I always remind people if I've posted something on LTK or if there are more links to whatever I've linked. It's just, it's kind of a waste of time for you. You have to wait for me to respond and it would take you just as long as it would take me to go into LTK to find the post with the link because that's what I'm going to share. I'm not going to link out each individual retailer that carries the bag that I just bought. Like that's ridiculous. So LTK is a very helpful resource if you're willing to get over the fact it's a separate app because LTK is the exact same thing as the links that I'm posting. It's just on an app. It's all commissionable. I'm still getting paid. So anyway, I don't really understand the frustration, but you know, you do you. I want to hear about all the unnecessary waste, PR boxes, et cetera. So this used to be a huge issue, but I managed to get off most PR mailing lists when I moved from my townhouse to my last house. I used to get so many PR mailers and it really was so wasteful. On several occasions from a few beauty brands, I received unsolicited packages with every color of foundation they had, every color of lipstick they had. It was literally so wasteful. I ended up giving or throwing most of it away. And all they could have done was been like, choose from two of these colors to like try and get a close match. They didn't have to send me every shade. Well, how how would I have used the lightest and the darkest shades? Like it makes no sense. And it's so wasteful. Like you say, I rarely receive items out of the blue these days, which I prefer since those usually feature items I didn't ask for or want in the first place. Um, And I've said, I said this earlier, I think, but I rarely accept gifted product at all these days because I don't do it in exchange for promotion because I don't see it as a form of payment. Gift, gifted beauty items don't pay the bills. Gifted clothes don't pay the bills. Um, but occasionally I'll get to choose items to be gifted that are also part of a flat fee collaboration. So like, say I get paid $3,000, they allocate some of that money for me to choose gifted product from the website for shooting the content. Do you send a rate list when collaborating or reaching out to brands? What criteria do you use to set up your rates? 
Yes. I don't often reach out to brands these days, but when I do, I definitely send a media kit, which features my rates, a little bit about me and my audience demographics. My rates are determined by looking at my performance on LTK. Um, I also take my audience size on social into account and the work that is required for specific projects into account. But because of LTK, I have ROI I can prove. And that helps me, um, you know, back up my rate card and media kit. How can you be honest with criticism of a brand without blowback? I've never really had an issue with this, but I guess I don't get on and really complain about brands ever. I may criticize the fit quality or fabric of pieces when I'm doing try-ons, which I think is normal. And like people do that in dressing rooms. So I've never boycotted a brand or anything like that. I also would never tag a brand if I was criticizing the clothes. So um, I've never really had an issue with that, but I don't know about other people. How do you balance how much of your personal life to share like friends, family, dating, et cetera? I've always just sort of dealt with it as I go along. I've never made any hard or fast rules, but I just do what I'm comfortable with in any given moment. While my mom, sister, stepdad, and friends don't really mind being featured on my stories occasionally, my content isn't about them. So I don't really have to worry too much about oversharing. And if there's something that I'm not sure about, I always ask, and I would never post something that people were not comfortable with. But the podcast has been more of an adjustment for me because I have been sharing more of my life and personal stuff on here, and I've been enjoying it so far. But it is kind of a challenge because, you know, I don't want to upset anyone, but, you know, I'm entitled to my feelings. People are entitled to their feelings. And, you know, may, I may overstep here and there. It's, it's an adjustment, but I feel like it's allowed me to connect to more people in a more intimate, authentic way. Um, so I'm really loving doing the podcast so far, but I just I think I need to be a little bit more sensitive about some of the stuff I'm sharing. So bear with me. <laughs> Um, as far as dating goes, I'm never going to be someone who posts lovey-dovey stuff on Instagram. My content isn't about that and it'll never be about that. Um, and maybe that's why I get so frustrated when I see other people doing it because I think it's cringeworthy and cheesy, but I probably wouldn't go into detail about anyone I'm dating on the podcast either. Like I may mention if I'm seeing someone here and there, like I mentioned, I was seeing a guy earlier in the year. It's not happening anymore, but these channels are for me and the content I share is more about me and the things that I like. And that won't change. I'm not trying to pull somebody in and share everything about them. It's about me. Do you have management? I see so many influencers do this these days. Is it necessary? I personally don't. And I've, I've never been approached for it. Maybe because I don't have a big enough following or whatever. I don't have what they're looking for. Um, but I also don't think I've ever really needed it. I think if I got a ton of emails about collaborations outside of LTK, having an agency to field those requests and negotiate on my behalf would be nice. But because most of my collaborations come through LTK, I've never needed it. They know my rates already. Um, I have people that I can reach out to to ask questions. I mean, they sort of act as an agency, I guess, but they're not. I'm, I don't have an agent. I think it depends on how much correspondence you're getting and how much work you really want to put into that. Like if you really don't like responding to emails yourself, you might want to have an agent. I don't, I don't mind responding to emails. Um, but anyway, that's that. All right. This is the last question. We're finally to the end. Do you see yourself doing this forever or do you think you'll transition to something else? While I don't see myself doing try-ons or shooting outfit photos into my fifties or sixties, It is really nice to have something that is just mine, that I can do as little of or as much of as I want. I can't see myself quitting this entirely, but I could always scale my content back to just my capsule wardrobes or just my podcast or just go back to blogging and only doing the blog. 
Um, if I want less work, but I want to still make money, I can still do all of that. I can make adjustments where I need to. I absolutely love what I do and I really enjoy being my own boss. So I definitely don't see myself going back to a regular nine to five gig. I'd probably just make some adjustments to my content and the mediums I share on to fit where I am in my life and what I'm talking about and what I'm doing and what my interests are. Um, That's what's sort of great about this job is I can talk about and do whatever I want. So um, if something isn't working for me, I'll make adjustments and tweak it here and there and keep on going. guys. We have made it to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you learned something interesting here. I feel like there's a lot of nuance with the influencer industry and everybody obviously has a different opinion and approach and all of that. But hopefully this was helpful or funny or whatever you got from it. I hope it was beneficial to you in some way or entertaining at least. Um, please be sure to call into the hotline. I, I want to keep answering your questions and I love listener voicemails. So call 214-620-0473 to leave a voicemail and ask me anything. Happy to chat about any topic. And I answer two new listener questions at the end of almost every episode, unless I do sort of a Q&A like I did today where I read them out. But you can also find me on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast. For fashion content, follow me at Merit Beck. And I think that's it. But oh, one more. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. If you love this episode or thought it was interesting, please share it with your friends. Share it on Instagram stories and tag the Beck and Call podcast page. It would mean so much to me. And write a review, rate on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.